0: Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. with us for a while. We've been going through a series on the Sermon on the Mount, the most amazing sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher to ever live. We've gone through the fact, the Beatitudes, God's proclamations from heaven to earth. We've discussed the church being a light city. We dove into living above our emotions We talked about practicing the presence of God. And last week, Pastor Jordan dove into the principles of prayer. But here's the thing all of those sermons came from one sermon, all of those sermons came from one sermon that Jesus preached. But it would only make sense that when Jesus opened his mouth, he put forth such wisdom that any sermon preached after him by any preacher, they could find the seed of their sermon in the Sermon on the Mount. So what am I trying to say? The author and finisher of our faith, the word that became flesh, one day preached a sermon that contained everything you would need to know about life and anything you can preach the book of life. That's why every word is so important. Every word matters so much because Jesus knew the power. I walk a lot. I need space. Jesus knew the power of his words. Uh, So he always spoke a purpose because his words created worlds. So he would never just flippantly throw something out. Unlike us, we'll, we'll just say whatever. He'd never do it. Therefore, every word that he speaks, we should observe it and wonder, what does this mean? So as I read through the Sermon on the Mound, with that thought in mind, that I know the Lord of Lord, when he speaks, there's something powerful here, a certain phraseology kept jumping off the page to me. It's almost as though God was saying, Hey, you need you need to look at this thing right here. Don't don't miss this. Don't miss this. And it spoke to me in such a way and was so healing to me that I said, All right, someone else needs to hear this truth. I want to read this to you. I want to direct your attention to uh, the book of Matthews, we're in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 6. Now, the thought of this, the concept of this, is throughout the Bible. But the way Jesus says it, it's so unique to me. And the Bible says this, and in regards to giving to the needy, Jesus says, give your gifts in private, and your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. He says again in Matthew 6, 6, when talking about prayer, but when you pray... Go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your father in private. Then your father, who sees everything, will reward you. He goes on again in Matthew 6, 18, when talking about fasting and not making your face funny. You kind of just fast, and stand up. He says, uh, then no one will notice that you're fasting except your father, who knows what you do in private. And your father, who sees everything, will reward you. Another version says your father who sees in secret. Four more verses. I want to take you to Genesis chapter 16. The Bible says this, The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from? Where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she replied. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her authority. And in verse 13 says this, Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you're El Roy, you are the God who sees me. Today, I want to talk to you about the God who sees. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time, God. I thank you for your grace and your mercy. I thank you for your favor in this place. I pray you speak to each and every one of us. Meet us right where we are. Come have your way in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Hey, have you ever wondered what you have in common with everybody around you? Like every single person? You're wondering. I know you are. You're unsure. You're looking like, what do I have in common with you? That's your spouse. You should know already. Stop it. You ever had that, that thing in your mind? Well, I'll, I'll tell you. At one point or another, we were all children. Now, I don't know if you, know your, you remember your childhood in great detail. I, I do not remember mine. But, but I do know something about children. I've noticed a certain theme in all children. All children want to be noticed. They want to be known. They want to be seen. And my son is an expert at this. My two-year-old son, it gets real. I mean, he, he will look at me and just start, daddy, 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 18 times without taking a breath. I, I, I kid you not. If I don't answer... He'll say it in Portuguese because he knows how. Whatever it takes. And when he gets my attention, sometimes, if I'm honest, it feels like I'm living a meme. Why, why are you laughing? This is my real life. It feels like I'm in this meme. Have you ever seen the cat memes? Where the cat is looking at his owner, push something off the table, like, look at the owner. Push a little further. Look at the owner again. And then, off the edge. And looks back like, that just happened? <laughs> well, let me tell you about my son. Every now and then, when he gets my attention, we have this mean moment. Because I'll look at him, and for no reason, only he would know, he and God, of course, he puts the most random thing in his mouth. He waits till so he gets my attention, and then, boop, and then he looks at me. <laughs> and now we have a situation. Because now I'm looking at him. I'm embarrassed to tell you this, I'm a grown man, I should handle this better, but we have a stare down at the moment, and he's looking at me like, that just happened, and it's still in there, and without fail, I'll rush over, he'll spit it out, no big deal, like like he knows he was wrong, and he's doing it just to get my attention, but there are other times when he does something that's so adorable, it's so cute, it'll melt my heart. And in those moments when he you knows he's done good, he you knows he's doing the right thing. He starts to just cheer himself on. I don't know if this kid is cocky or just—I don't know—but he he just yay! And he starts to literally cheer himself on, almost as though he's telling me, "This is how I want you to acknowledge me. This is how I want you to see me. This is how I know you've seen what I'm doing, Dad. Notice me." So of course, he's two, right? I jump right in. I'm like, "Yay! I'm going to acknowledge you. I'm going to let you know." But then I realize it's not because he's two. I've met children in their teens, young adults in their 20s, men and women 30s, 40s, 50s, and beyond, and they all have the same thing in common. They all want to be seen. It's a terrible thing to feel like those around you don't notice you. Now, granted, in those moments of, you know, something super embarrassing happened, we all wish we had the power of invisibility, like... When I'm coming up those steps, I always think, what if I trip? Because in that moment, I would not want to be present at all. I'd want to disappear, and it'd be a great thing. But outside of those few moments in life where you feel embarrassed and you feel like, I just want to disappear and vanish, outside of that, not being noticed is absolutely an unpleasant thing. Not being heard is absolutely an unpleasant thing. You know, recently you've heard a lot about bullying and we know the severity of it and how it can affect people into adulthood. Uh, They did a study a few years ago on the, the psychological effects of bullying in the workplace versus not being noticed. And they determined it was more psychologically damaging to a person to not be noticed than to be bullied. And I thought to myself, okay, that doesn't make sense to me. It's more damaging to be not noticed and to be bullied? That doesn't make sense to me. But then then it dawned on me. To bully me, you have to acknowledge my existence. To bully me, you have to say I have some relevance. To bully me, you have to see me. Because on the other hand, you, I feel like you don't see me. I don't have relevance. And does my existence here matter to those around me? But it doesn't just have to happen when, you, when someone's being bullied. It, it could be. It could be in a marriage where you feel unseen. It could be. It could be amongst friends, amongst family. It could be in the office. It could be where you're submitting ideas and thoughts, and you're saying, I'm I'm putting so much forth, and nothing seems to be valued or validated. It could be. It could be you're living life, and you're feeling like, I just want someone to ask me, am I okay? Because I don't feel like anyone even sees where I am right now. And I want to say that's okay. Because everybody goes through a desert season. It's in the desert season, you think, it's only me. No, 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 no. Everybody goes through it. If I looked around this entire room, there's somebody either walking into a desert season, someone walking through a desert season, or someone coming out of a desert season. And in seasons of our life, we all go through it at one point or another. The Bible is filled with people who in their desert season, in their trials... God turns it around for a godly triumph. Over and over again, when you didn't expect him to show up, God always shows up because he always sees you. I think about Hannah. All she wanted was a child. Crying, begging, she wants a child. She's weeping, she wants a child. Her husband sees her her husband says, well, you know, you got me. I'm better than 10 sons. Only husbands understand this. We want you to feel this way. As I stare at my wife. I'm better than 10, sons. But there was something so deep inside of her, even the person closest to her didn't see it. But God did. Even people around you don't see it. God does. And she's wailing in the temple, and the priest says to her, are you drunk? Like, that's the kind of crying she's doing. I've seen some pretty serious crying, but I've never seen somebody crying in a way where I was like, you must be wasted. Never. That must be some real tear she's shedding. But he's looking and saying, what's wrong? She says, no, I'm not drunk. Just crying out to God. And out of her desert place, Samuel, one of the greatest prophets, is birthed. Out of her obscurity, God answers her, and Samuel is born. I don't know your desert, but I'm telling you, out of it, God will bring a blessing. Out of whatever you're going through, God will meet you there and handle it, no matter the situation. And it makes sense, all of a sudden, when Jesus says, the God who sees everything, he's not surface. He sees the depths of who you are, what you're experiencing. He says, I'll get you through it. I think about Daniel, because I do think these desert seasons are all part of the rhythm of life. I think of Daniel, he gets taken out of his home, brought into captivity, and you say, Well, that's a desert. But next thing you know, he's in a place of prominence and leadership. That's the mountaintop. He watches his friends Shad, Meshach, and Abednego, get thrown into the furnace. You say, Well, that's a desert. But God shows up. See, that's a triumph. Daniel himself gets thrown into the lion's den, that's a desert. God shows up. It's triumph. But in all the cases, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went in, after they came out, King Nebuchadnezzar declared, this is the real God. When when Daniel went in, King Damaris declared, this is the real God. In every situation, the point is this. Sometimes your desert isn't for you. It's for people around you to say, if God can do that, if God can bring you out of that, what can he do for me? Sometimes your struggle helps someone else's story. You've got to remember that. I think about David. We all, we all think we know David. We, we love the, the, the story of David and all things he's done. But, but David didn't necessarily start off on the mountaintop. Samuel comes to anoint one of Jesse's kids. It's the same Samuel who was birthed in a desert. He is now going to meet David in his desert. I'm wondering if you've been through some things, who are you going to get? Who are you reaching back for? Because Samuel shows up now to anoint David, and and, and David's father brings out all his other sons. All of them. Not like two or three. All but David. At least if you overlook some of us and not just me, but he overlooked. He got everybody and just said, David, you stay in the field. And Jesse's almost going to anoint the wrong person. This is what God says. Uh, I'm sorry, Samuel's going to know the one person, and God says, this is Samuel. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God sees who you really are. Like, I I, I love the story of David, maybe for other reasons than some people. I love the story of David because... I'm the most unlikely person. Like Dave would have been the most unlikely person. Like, like if they ever looked around and someone saw me years ago and they said, Well, who are they gonna find to declare the word of God? It'd have been like, Well, oh. anybody else? Truly, any anybody else? Seriously, anybody else? Anybody but this guy? He's definitely not gonna somebody else, please raise your hand. That's how people would have seen me. But God saw the depths of me and said, I know who you are. I know what I've called you to. I know what i purpose purposed you for, despite what everyone around thought. And in, in, in fact, let's be real, despite what I thought. Because I would have been like, yeah, you're right. They better call somebody else right away. But God saw something different. And he saw something different in that moment when, he, when, when David is called up and, he, and Jesse, I keep saying Jesse, Samuel anoints David. But I love how the Bible says it. When they talk about Samuel anointing David, the Bible says this in verse 13. It says, So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of oil, olive oil, he had brought, and he anointed David with oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned into Ramah. see, I love it because despite what people thought, despite what felt, even though he was hidden, when it came time, God said, in the presence of everyone else, I'll anoint you. In the presence of all the people who might not have seen you or heard you, I'll anoint you there. I'll make it known because you, you think you're being hidden. You think the obscurity is like a punishment. But sometimes God is just covering you for security. Saying, this, this, he's mine. He's one of mine. Uh, You you don't get to touch him because people will expose you too soon, but God will know the right time and the right moment to let your blessing shine through, let your anointing and your gift shine through. You can try to make it sometimes sooner than you need to, but, but I understood the psalmist now when he said, you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. God knows just when to anoint you. God knows just when to pull a veil back and say, look at my servant. God's been working on you in secret for years sometimes. He has not forgotten you. He sees you through everything. Even when you think he's not watching, he's working. He's always working in your behalf. You see, we know David because he slayed Goliath. But David wouldn't have slayed Goliath had not been in obscurity. He wouldn't have done it. It was in the obscurity where David slayed the lion. It was when no one knew about it where David slayed the bear. But had he not gone through that period where God kept them covered and God said, let me show you what I put in you. When Goliath came, David might not have been so bold, but David He knew who his God was because he had been through some things in the desert. And he knew what he could handle. And he said, Goliath, that guy's a joke. I've killed a bear. Here's the thing. You've slayed some bears in your life. You've lived through some things in your life. You've already lived through your worst days because you're here today. There are times in your life where you're like, this is the worst day ever. But here you are. Slaying giants. I want you to keep in mind that while you're going through this desert, there there are times where you want to just run out of it. What you're thinking is, if I just got out of this, if it was over today, you know, if it was over today, you'd miss the lesson. If you miss the lesson, you miss the blessing. Because he is just building you. God is like the perfect architect, and he's putting piece by piece by piece. And you're thinking, oh, my gosh, it's crushing me. He's thinking, man, their foundation is getting so strong. They'll be able to carry weight no one else can carry. They'll be able to pull people out no one else can pull out. It's the experiences you've been through and the giants you've laid to rest. That's the reason you're going to be blessed, because God's been watching you through all of it. And in this desert place is where we encounter Hagar. You might not know much about Hagar. Hagar was part of Abraham's house. Uh, she becomes pregnant with his child. But Hagar and Sarai, Abraham's wife, they get in a little cat fight. And next thing you know, Hagar's on the run and she's in the desert. And it's not looking good. But here's the key. Anytime you do something not in God's will or the way he said, it always goes wrong. And then are in a situation where it's going wrong and Hagar is running. And we meet her in chapter 16. The Bible says this The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. Now, the road to Shur is the way back to Egypt. You might miss that. The road to Shur is the way back to what she thought was comfortable, where she thought I'll be seen. It was her way out of the desert. It's like, if I can escape and get back to comfort, I'll be good. If I can escape and get out of this desert and go somewhere where people will notice me more, people will see me more, people will kind of call to me a little bit, maybe I'll be good then. But it wasn't the way God had for her. And like many of us, she's running. Because she believes if I run and I don't confront it and solve it, it'll be better. But like all of us, we learn running solves nothing. And Hagar is in the desert. And God shows up for her. But here's what impressed me. This Egyptian slave is running back to her idolatrous nation. And God shows up for her. If he shows up for her, how much more would he show up for you? It makes an appearance for her. And it's not just any appearance. This is the first time the angel of the Lord is quoted or showing up in the Bible. This is the first time this theophany, who I believe is the pre-incarnate Christ, shows up in the Bible. But he doesn't show up for someone of prominence. He doesn't show up for someone who has some kind of stature, someone who's going to lead his people. He shows up for an Egyptian slave with no wealth, no friends. Some God who sees you. No matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, no matter who you are, God shows up for you. The Bible says this. The angel of the Lord said to Hagar, said to Hagar, Sarai servant, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she replied. And the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Now, Hagar's distressed. She's on a run. She's running from pain. She's running from hurt. She's running from, she's running from things she cannot solve. But when we run, like Hagar, we have to realize something. You're running from an issue, but, but the promise that God gave you isn't the problem you're walking through right now. The promise that he gave you isn't the problem because the thing you think is going to break you only makes you stronger. The thing you're thinking, well, this, I can't make it out of it. It's making you more resilient. It's making you more focused. It's making you more determined than ever before. It was never meant to destroy you. But you were never meant to run from it either. You got to think it through. If Hagar continues on and God doesn't show up and she makes it to Egypt, At best, she has to raise this kid alone. And maybe they'll make it. And maybe she'll feel seen. At worst, she dies in the desert alone. But in Abraham's house, all her needs are met. But it's tough. Just like it's tough in your job, just like it's tough in your marriage. It's like, it's tough amongst your friends. It's tough. It's tough trying to deal with something you don't know how to solve. And many times we find ourselves in that place. And that's where Hagar is. She's in this tough situation. And God says, go back. Go back? Did you miss what I went through? Did you not see what I experienced? Sometimes that's us. We're saying, God, you, you obviously don't see this. He does. He says, go back. Because he knows. I'm preparing you for something. I'm building you for something. But how do, we, how do we muster the strength to go back? How do you muster the strength to face something that has come to be so much weight, you're literally running from it. And maybe you're not running physically. You're like, well, I'm still here. But you checked out emotionally. You're shut down mentally. You're present, but you're not present at all. So how do you muster the strength to show up again? The answer is in verse 13. And the Bible says this. Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, Elroy, you are the God who sees me. It's the realization that she was never alone. It's the realization that the God who sees everything saw her, saw her situation, and he knew just where she was. And he knows just where you are. He sees you, he sees your situation, and he wants to meet you in the desert. In the desert. Is where you encounter the cross every single time. So how are you going to go back? Just like she did. When she had this revelation that God saw her, gave her the strength to go back to the thing she was once running from and submit even in difficult situations. And I don't know your situation. And I don't know what you might be running from or coming through or dealing with but I know God. And I know no matter where you are or what you find yourself in, he sees you. The God who sees everything, the God who spoke creation into existence, he sees you right where you are. I couldn't think of a better thing to encourage myself. Now I remember uh, 15 years ago, I was dealing with what could possibly be the... The worst point in my life, actually. I was losing my home. I was losing my job. And I genuinely felt I am absolutely all alone in this. And I started to say this prayer. God, send me a guy to show me how to do this. Send me somebody to find you. And I wish I could tell you, you know, a day later, someone showed up. Two months begging God for two months. you got to send somebody. you got to do it. And I remember the day I was here, and I was right up in the balcony over there. I literally, I had this black coat, and I remember it like it was yesterday. And a service had ended, and back then we had one service, and you know we were lingering for a while, and uh, the parking lot's full, so I'm leaving, and I figured no one here really knows me, so I'm just going to get out of here. But before I left, I remember I prayed that prayer again, God, you got to send me a guy. So I head to the parking lot. And back then, the cars would be trailing out of the parking lot because there's one server so packed. And so the, the cars are lined up down to the lights, and my car is parked by the lights so I was late. Whatever, you know. Whatever. I don't need your judgment. Uh, but as I, I get to my car, I hear a voice say, uh, when are you coming to see me? And I don't turn around at first. I'm assuming no one here should know me anyway. So I keep walking to the car, and the voice says again, when are you coming to see me? And now, my mama didn't raise a punk, so I'm going to turn around. At this point, I'm coming to see you. <laughs> you know. So I, <laughs> I turn around, and there's Pastor Steve in his car. And he says to me, when are you going to come to my office? And in that moment, I'm telling you, the heavens opened, and I realized for the first time, in my worst place, God saw me. He heard my prayer. And he said, I'll send someone because I see you. And maybe this hall should be filled with Pastor Steve's. Because you've gone through something and you need to go back and grab somebody else. And God's telling you, say, he could have driven by. No one would have faulted him. I wouldn't have faulted him. But he stopped and said, when are you coming to see me? Listen to the verbiage he even used. When are you coming to see me? Because God wanted to know, wanted me to know, I do see you. And he does see you. The question is, now when are you going to look back and see somebody else and say, let me show you the way out. Let me show you how to get through this. I've walked through this before. I've already overcome this. Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.